Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, and I'm here with Savannah today. Hey. So today we're talking about a really good piece you put together, Savannah, this piece on four things you'd wish you'd known before you started a bootstrap or before you joined a bootstrap startup and what business school didn't teach you. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. So we got a lot of questions on this. So, well, I guess a little bit of background. What did you go to business school for? Yeah, I studied marketing and entrepreneurial management, which, you know, the entrepreneurial management is sort of like, what does that mean? Like, how do you teach that in school? And actually, a lot of the things that I talk about in my piece don't apply to that entrepreneurship part of my of my education, because that program in school was actually really good. And they really just like threw you into the deep end with with like entrepreneurship. Like my capstone class was just like a, a year-long class where you started a business and you got like a ten thousand dollar loan and were That's expected super, super to like make a profit by the end of the year. And so that class was very unique compared to the rest of my education in business school, which I felt like was very geared towards the corporate world. Mm, yeah. Tell me more. So yeah. what's what's one of the first things that you feel like you weren't, weren't prepared you didn't for? Learn, <laughs> yeah, weren't prepared for yeah. joining a small company or a startup. Well, like overall, I'd say my like beef with business school <laughs> sure. is that I picked up on the fact that, you know, our business school had corporate sponsors, like in all of our buildings and like the auditoriums and stuff, there would be big names like 3M and Honeywell, like right over the top of those of those buildings. And like, it seemed like every aspect of business school was just funneling you into jobs at those businesses. Like those were our sponsors. And the whole program was designed to place you into jobs in those really corporate roles. And like everything from, you know, the career fairs to how they taught you to like design your resume was just so down to a science of like getting you into those roles. And so it didn't really leave a lot of room if you wanted to do anything else, which was sort of me where I was like, I don't really see myself in one of these corporate roles. I'm kind of interested in like the startup side of things. But yeah, and then when I, you know, graduated and I eventually did find my way to a startup, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much that I am not prepared for. And one of the first things that I talk about in my article is, you know, how to actually talk to customers because like I remember in my marketing classes, learning about things like what a focus group is and like how to have a focus group and how to design quantitative surveys for market research. And that's cool if you have like a really big budget to work with in like a huge corporation. But in a startup, you don't like you can't hire an external firm to do a focus group. And so you are responsible for gathering that customer feedback yourself. And I feel like the best feedback I've gotten from our customers is just through having like really casual conversations, 
you know, like talking with people through Twitter DMs or, you know, a casual email thread or, you know, just like in Instagram DMs to even, I just feel like it should be casual and that's where you get the most authentic feedback. I guess in business school, they kind of approached market research as something that was like, oh, there's a department in your company that handles this and it's very siloed or you hire an external firm. Whereas in a startup, I feel like it should be part of everyone's job. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the thing with the focus group too is it it feels a bit like you're playing a game of telephone because even, I mean, we're not far removed from the customer, right? Like we're talking to our customers all the time as well, but the people in our company that talk the most to customers are the our support team and we'll hear stuff from them but it still even feels different when like we hear there's a problem going on to be like okay yeah can you show me some of the messages of like what they're describing and just to like really get in direct contact with the customer read exactly what they're saying you know as soon as you get a couple levels away the nuance and and really understanding what they're asking for or what their problem is can be can be lost. So I think it's I mean I think it's usually valuable. I like to pop into the support queue at random times too, just to see like what are people saying. That's why I like to be on Twitter and I I have searches set up all the time for our products. I want to see anything anybody says about Twitter's the main social network I'm on. I'm, I don't really look at Facebook or Instagram that much, but you know I just want to see what are people saying. I want to see the raw. That raw, unvarnished feedback, good or bad. I want to hear it. Yeah, and you I know you like invite customers to email you directly or, you know, go into your Twitter DMs and talk to you. I try to keep my email out there. Yeah. Like Matt at astropad.com. Yeah. If you want to email me, <laughs> Matt at astropad.com. <laughs> yeah. I feel like with a startup and any company for that matter, like there shouldn't be a hierarchy with talking to customers like it shouldn't be that the higher up you are in the company the further away from customers you are i think it should be that everyone just makes it part of a part of their practice to get close to customers and get feedback on products and that's sort of a vulnerable thing to do because yeah you have to you know sometimes come to terms with like your product shortcomings. Like if you're actually going to have an an authentic conversation with a customer, like you better be prepared to hear about how your product isn't, isn't meeting their needs. But I mean, that's, that's where the valuable feedback comes from. So. And I know some small companies too take it even further where they have everyone in the company rotate through support, which we haven't done. And I don't, I don't, really totally agree with. It's good to like step in there and and see what people are saying. That's kind of what I do. I go in kind of read only mode and kind of look at what people are doing. You know, I'll respond to stuff if if asked too often, but otherwise, I think with with companies that rotate through, you're assuming that it's easy to jump into support, but it's not necessarily. Like support support can be really hard to do. It takes oh, a certain yeah, kind very, of person with the very right technical can be very technical and you need to have the right level of patience and you need to be a good writer. And there's, you know, it's not, it's not just like take anybody and put them there and no. So, I mean, that's why we don't do that because I don't, and we, you know, still have support team. It's the first, first line at, at seeing all that feedback. 
But yeah, I know I know some companies that do that, what I described. But yeah, you know, another, it was making me think of another interesting thing. I don't know if Apple's like this anymore today, but when I was an intern way back when, that was 2007, I remember they were very much against focus groups. Oh, really? Like, huh. Yes, yes. And in fact, there was a, a thing where the executives would talk to the interns and one of them was Steve Jobs and you would get to ask questions and there was a business student that asked a question about focus groups and he went off. He was not happy oh about my this. Gosh. He's like, we don't do that garbage here. Take that back to business school. You know, we build, <laughs> like, I forget all he said, but it was pretty, I don't know today. They're, they're so huge now, I'm sure somewhere, somewhere within there, they're doing focus groups. But at the time it was pretty, it's pretty interesting. He was like, no, 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 we don't do that. That's not how we do things around here. I remember, I mean, this, this would have been like over four years ago now, but it was before we launched Astropad Studio. So we just had Astropad and we were trying to like come up with like a feature set to, to launch with Astropad Studio. And so I had like, I called like a bunch of our Astropad users, not a bunch, but I actually maybe oh, I like 10. And I had like really long phone calls with them about what features they wanted us to launch with. And, you know, that's where we got feedback on like custom pressure curves and and other more of those like customizable features. But but yeah, I did that again recently, too, with trying to understand why some of our customers were moving to Windows, like ditching their Macs to use PCs. I feel like it's just a good practice to to do you know if you're not on the support team to make it like a couple times a year actually have like long back and forth conversations with customers yeah 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 you always get so much out of it you always learn something yeah always you always learn something i love it too when somebody finds my phone number and i end up having this like random conversation like they often they'll find my phone number looking for like tech support and then they call and i'm like you know, I try to help them. I'm like, hey, they, they reached out. I'm going to try to help them. And I try to help them and I usually try to ask some questions too. And Do you, you know, tell them that ha- you're the CEO and that happens or do you just play it cool? No, no, no. No, I usually don't. I just kind of, uh, I just like. <laughs> hilarious. Asking. Sometimes they'll ask like, oh, what do you do there? And um, Then they'll think it's funny that, you know. But I just, yeah. And then I just try, oh, okay. Well, now that I've, you know, how did you find out about us? Okay, where... What are you using this for? Okay, okay, that's how's how's it been? You know, yeah, it's just it's. But no one showed up to your house yet, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> that would that would oh probably be a step too far. That yes. would be one step too far. You can call my phone number. That's okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, let's go on to number two. What was your number two? Yes, my number two thing that I wish I learned in business school was how to be scrappy, which really just has to do with working within the limitations of a startup. Because I remember in business school when we would do like read through case studies and and talk through these situations, it just seemed like so much of it could be resolved by either like hiring a consultant or an agency or just, you know, like throwing money at the problem, which is so not the reality in a startup. Like usually... We are 
pretty tight on budget if we have any budget at all for a project and we usually like don't have enough people to help with it and so you just gotta figure out a really resourceful way to get the job done and a few things come to mind with that first one is we always talk about like ruthless prioritization where it often feels like we're in this scenario at Astropad where it's like we have three big important projects that we need to get done, but we only have like the time and resources to do two of them. This happens a lot. And so how do you yes, 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 how do you make that decision? And I think a really good example of that is like what we're going through right now with bringing our products cross-platform. You know, the engineering team is rewriting all of our underlying code in Rust so that we can bring it cross-platform. But that comes at a cost too, because in the meantime, we're not able to do as frequent like product updates, which that's painful, you know? Like we like hear feedback from customers all the time, like they want this feature and we wanna be able to give it to them. But it's like, okay, what's more important, like bringing this feature immediately or taking some, playing the long game and taking some time to, you know, make our underlying code so much better? Because in in the end, like not only is it going to bring our products cross platform, but it'll make our existing products on Mac better too. So it comes with some yeah you can't you can't do everything at once and so you have to make really tough decisions about about what to prioritize yeah no definitely i mean i feel that way too with like new projects like we always have tons of new ideas too of things we want to pursue and it's like well we can't we can't do that all like we need to pick like one thing to focus on right now but we have all these different ideas we want to explore you know that part that, that part's hard too yeah i guess i've never I don't know. I'm skeptical too of like, you know, just throwing money at the problem, like actually being able to solve stuff too. Cause there's been times too in the, in the company's history where it's like, yeah, you could have written us a big check. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't have quickly turned things around. There was, you know, other bottlenecks that like, you know, we didn't have the manage the right management in place. And that takes time. Our engineering team wasn't big enough and that. And it's like, yeah, you can, you can, with money, you can hire people and scale it up, but it's not like, instantaneous you can't like all of a sudden like quadruple the size of your company expect to be able to retain the culture or the you know the same quality you put into products you know it's like i don't know but that also goes back to more our approach which has been bootstrapped and organic and slower growth and like super explosive like giant rounds of funding or anything, you know because we, we've never had that yeah it's been like slow and steady for us which can be a little bit painstaking at times. Yes. It's like, yes. oh, I just want to be able to to get this product out so that we can move on to the next product idea that we have. Yeah. But, but I don't know. We've also weathered a lot of storms this way with this approach. We've survived through a lot. Yeah, we have because the fundamentals are strong then because they've had to be strong. We couldn't just paper over them. So like the bases, the base that we're building off of, you know, has has been has been good. We haven't been able to prop things up like tons of outside money, like some companies do. And you know, some some companies do, as I'm, as I'm saying this, do manage to pull it off and with huge amounts of money scale up quickly. But 
I don't know. I just hear so many stories about it going sideways. It scare me. Yeah, something else that's hard to like scale up really quickly or throw a lot of money at is like branding. Like your brand awareness, not like the visual brand identity, but like you know, we've been like chugging along with things like blogging and content creation over the past few years and it's it doesn't really have that explosive return that things like Facebook ads do or that they can do if you put a lot of money at it. But over time, that's where you start to see some some positive feedback with your brand, like, you know, your SEO starts to look a little bit better. And I don't know, it just seems like there's more, I don't know, your brand is more well-rounded and not as shallow, I guess. So that's something that something that you can work on. You can keep, you know, chugging away at that without investing a lot of money into it. And it can just be something that's going on in the background. But but overall, my big takeaway is like the scrappiness is a good thing. Like working within limitations is a good thing because if something catastrophic ever happens, you can pivot pretty quickly. And that's what happened when Sidecar came out. Like we, it was like, okay, this is you know, pretty devastating for the company. Let's just completely shift our priorities and, you know, navigate around that and be super nimble. And it's hard to do that, I think, if you're at a big corporation where you have a bunch of people and you're you're much slower at changing strategies. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine at a big company how hard that would be to quickly, quickly change strategies. You know, and that made me think of another thing as well in that with our approach too is, you know, I'm really speaking to the the startup ecosystem because I don't really know big companies at all really that well. But about us having like stronger fundamentals is like from earlier on, we build a habit of being profitable and having to work within those limitations. Because you see other companies that spend a ton of money on like customer acquisition or things like that. And they're they're spending so much money that there's no way they can ever break even on it. But you quickly become hooked on it, right? You, you become pretty quickly used to all these things you're spending on. And they go in with the attention of, oh, down the road, we'll figure out how to make this more efficient so it's cost effective. Or we'll have all these these lavish giant staff and lavish benefits and office space and all these things. And like, yeah, down the road, we'll like tighten, tighten up our belt and like get to profitability. Well, that's really hard to do once you're once you already have those things in motion and you're used to a certain way of working and a certain amount of revenue. Because it might be that in order to bring customer acquisition costs under control, you got to bring your your ad spend way down. All of a sudden, your revenue is down. But it wasn't profitable revenue anyway, but still it pushed your top line revenue up and it looked really good. You know, So there's a lot of these things you get hooked on. Yeah, you get a little too comfortable with. Yes, you get very comfortable. Yes, yes, yes. It's almost like, gosh, I forgot the name of it. But you know, like you get a raise and you start buying like more expensive stuff and you get another mm-hmm. raise and you start buying more expensive stuff like lifestyle creeper. Yeah. I think that's what it's like. Called. The same, same idea. You're yeah. like, Oh, it's pretty hard to go back now. <laughs> you yeah. get used to a certain way. Yeah. The scrappiness it it's a really good asset to have. It's we've been able to just adapt and react really quickly. And that's why we've weathered so many storms. We can just be like, Oh, okay, got to change directions. Like, 
everyone, we're working on this now. And I don't know. I like that. But this, I was going to go into the next thing because this kind of goes hand in hand with like, I was thinking that, you know, being scrappy also means like you got to roll up your sleeves and just do the work sometimes. And this is where I feel like business school really let me down. Like (laughs) really the most of all of them, maybe the most because like they don't teach you how to, I don't know how to like put together a good email campaign or even how to do basic things like write good copy, like good Mm. sales copy for a landing page. And, you know, people could argue like, oh, like they'll be hiring. That's not for the business school kids. Like they'll be hiring like writers to do that. But like, no, not at a startup. Didn't you? Didn't you have like marketing as well in your degree? Yeah. And they just, they didn't, they didn't teach you that. We had one class on like business writing, but it was all about like how to write efficient emails. (laughs) Not like internal emails. Yeah. <laughs> like how to delegate internally. Yeah. Oh, or like man, this sounds so corporate. Yeah. It's painful to think back on it. No, but not how to write good sales copy and and okay, yeah. that's that's stuff that like I've had to learn on the job. And I think there's just this assumption in business school that like, okay, you'll get an idea for a marketing campaign and then you'll delegate it out to whoever the designer is and the writer and and all of that. And I mean, for a long time, I was the only person on the marketing team at Astropad. So like I had to do all of those things and definitely wasn't an expert at any of them, but I just didn't have a choice. Like I just had to do them. So you just got to roll up your sleeves. And then, I mean, a big thing for me has been like filling in the knowledge gaps, like okay, business school didn't teach me how to do these things. So I need to figure out who the experts are and learn from them. And I think there's a lot of that in startup life. Like you have to be constantly just learning, you know, on the job, learning from the experts. So yeah, well, and and things are changing so quickly too. I was going to say in the tech industry, but that doesn't feel even right to say that in like every industry now, things are, are in so many industry things are changing so quickly too. We just got to be, be good at learning new things, be good at updating your skills quickly too. So that's definitely a good thing to have, but I'm still pretty shocked that you didn't have like any copywriting. No, no, I guess. Yeah. Nothing that was really substantial. No, we learned we had a class, like a one credit class where I'm pretty sure they literally taught you how to like give a good handshake, like oh wow, yeah. like that how to how so to have helpful. a firm handshake yeah. and like polish up your resume. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And I mean, you went to a good business school too. It's not like this is some like run of the mill like it was it was a good it was a good school well and that's why like i can't discount the entrepreneurship program and how good it was at my school because i swear that's where i learned like everything like how to all of the important like attitude things about being in a startup like how okay if you don't know how to do something you just have to you just got to do it and roll up your sleeves and do it 
And through that class, you know, my senior year where you just start your own business, like I was like, okay, here's $10,000. You're expected to have a profit by the end of the year. So yeah. And that's pretty awesome. That's an awesome experience right there. And yeah. I remember too, when we, when we first met you too, my, my co-founder and I, we were super impressed with all the stuff you had done through the entrepreneurship classes. Yeah. I remember that's like what stood out too. We're like, oh man, she's, she's walked the walk. She knows. Well, yeah, it was tough. Like one of my favorite memories from that class is on the very first day, our professor like divided us into groups and handed each group a $100 bill. And it was like, by the end of the class, you have two hours, you need to come back with a profit. <laughs> and on that day, like there happened to be a twins game at Target Field, because this is in Minneapolis. And so I went to Target and bought a bunch of these plush Hello Kitties that were wearing twins jerseys <laughs> and I stood outside of Target Field and sold them to fans and it was the most like humiliating thing ever because you know like I think I'm the shit like I'm a senior I'm about to graduate like and I I'm standing on the corner selling these plush Hello Kitties but I mean that was that was a good lesson in like just vulnerability and like putting yourself out there. Like you just got to go for it and that's yeah, the ultimate just do scrappiness it. right there. That's why part of that yeah. team right there. That's super scrappy. <laughs> do you remember what your return is? I think I don't remember exactly, but I want to say that we doubled it. Like we came All back right. with a profit and not every team hours. did, wow. but, but yeah, that's, it, that's it was fun. Story. Well, what have you found has been helpful since a lot of the stuff you didn't learn in business school? What's been helpful to learn a lot of this stuff on the job? Oh, like what, what are some of the experts yeah, like that you, I've learned from? Yeah, because yeah. I've like, cause like, I linked a few of these in my article. Like Twitter has been really helpful in finding experts. And I know we've talked about this in one of our past episodes, but people like Harry's marketing examples. He on his oh, website love, has love his so stuff. many good guides. And like, I love his copywriting guides because they show side by side, like bad copywriting versus good copywriting. And he just came out with a new guide, like a landing page guide for like how to create a hierarchy on your landing page. So yeah, that one is really good. And then getting, you know, finding blogs from, all corners of of the business like i love help scouts blog which is more focused on like customer loyalty and you know the support side of things but again i feel like everyone should be you know versed in that in that part of the business yeah i had a longer list that i wanted to include in this article originally and then i was like okay i'll pare it down to the to the most important people but twitter Ooh, should you should provide them. Maybe we'll put them on this podcast episode. We'll put them in the links. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Some we'll add some ones, more some extra ones. Yeah. And like recently, you know, I just did that like Ahrefs SEO course because I am not an, an SEO expert by any means, but that was a really good suggestion from you to do. And it's like, I don't know, making time to, I don't know, continue learning so that you can yeah, make your work better and better. So, so yeah, right now, since our 
focus for the next six months on marketing is really about content creation and like SEO optimized creation. I'm filling in a lot of the gaps on the SEO side. So yeah. So what's then your your fourth and final thing that you didn't learn in business school? Well, the biggest thing, I think this is the biggest thing, is how to fail. And this 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 is is sort of like, yeah, maybe it's a startup cliche, like, fail fast or and like fail forward but it's so true like in business school you know you're on this grading curve at least at my school it was this really competitive grading curve where it was like they only gave out like four a's per class or yeah per like 100 student section so it was like cutthroat you're trying oh, to get an A. Type A people too. So. Yeah. And <laughs> people like learn how to, I don't know, kind of master the system, master the system of studying and then standardized tests just to get that A. And yeah, that is just not realistic in startup world. Like, You are always learning on the job, at least for us at Astropad, like we fail all the time and that's where we learn the most, right? What would you say? It's true. No, I agree with that. You know, and I was, what you're saying made me think of the previous one of, of having to learn on the job too, which, you know, there's a very big difference between learning something in school, learning enough so you can pass a test and then flush it out of your brain. Mm Mm-hmm. Versus like on the job where you need to learn something and then actually use it and apply it to what you're doing. Those are like two different kinds of learning. And unfortunately, too much in school focuses on the first type, just learning for a test and not actually applying it. I think that's also what you're describing with your entrepreneurship class, why it was so great mm-hmm. as well, because you were actually applying like your professor knew to like put you out there and like it wasn't just learn the theory of entrepreneurship it was like to put you put you out there yeah get your hands dirty and to really experience it and to try and apply like literally apply what you learn not just regurgitate it in an essay or on a multiple choice test mm-hmm. and that sort of grading system it just it creates a bunch of perfectionists like in business mm, school good, all these all these perfectionists too. and then like at a startup you can't be a perfectionist because if you are you will never put your work out there cuz you'll always be polishing 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 and then it'll just never be good enough and i think we try to take the philosophy where you know put something out there and then gather feedback and then start optimizing from there that's hard it's hard for me sometimes too especially with with like writing or being vulnerable to put my work out there before it's really, I don't know, really polished and perfect. But that's what you got to do. You got to be a little bit, I don't know, be a bit vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's hard. I mean, it's like when we're doing this even on the podcast or when we started this even too, that was like, oh, well, we got to make it really good before. And it's like, no, we just got to, we got to put something out there, right? And it's, yeah, it's not, <laughs> as you're saying, it's not easy to do. It does feel very vulnerable. Yeah. The other, you know, big takeaway that when I was thinking about failure, I was thinking about failure in like a trickle down approach where really failure in a startup or in any company in any setting, it should come from the top, like people at the top, the founders, the managers, they should all be failing openly. And then if the rest of the company sees that, 
then failure will be sort of celebrated from every angle in the company. Celebrated in a way where it's like, okay, if you fail, like that's a success and that you are learning something really valuable from that. And I know last week at my one-on-one with you, Matt, I asked you, what is the biggest failure you've had at Astropad? Mm. And I thought yeah. I thought you had a good answer because this is like one of our biggest lessons that we've learned. Yes, yes, yes. So you you were well, talking about yeah, no, you yeah. you talk about it. Yeah. So you asked me, and I, right away I was like, "Up, oh, not getting to be our products cross platform sooner. We should have been much sooner. We spent a little too much time optimizing what we currently had, and we should have spent more time getting to Windows, getting to other other platforms as well. Of course, now we're working on it. It's been something we've been working on for a while now, and but we should have been on it way sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a hard one to learn. That it was, was a hard lesson, lesson, but we'll never make that mistake again. We will not, no. Nope. In fact, now when I talk to other entrepreneurs, I'm always warning them about it. <laughs> I was talking to somebody yesterday too, and their products, they were, they were working on Windows and starting to work on Android. And I was like, good, 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 good. You know, like I don't want others to make the same mistake too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like though you being really open about that as a failure just, I don't know, makes it, gives a good impression, I guess, because now the rest of us can be a little more open about our own failures, which I don't really look at any of my mistakes as like huge failures because I learned things from them. Like, I don't know, it comes up with like, stuff we've tried with the Kickstarter and and trying to get the word out with that and just things that haven't worked or, you know, over the course of Astropad's history, like we've made the wrong hires or... Yep, that's a big one I was thinking of, the hires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Making the wrong hire and, and also knowing it and not doing anything about it too for too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a more positive way to look at failure. And I would hope that then it can be, if it's that trickle-down approach where at the top, like the founders are are celebrating it, then everyone else can can follow suit. But they definitely don't talk about that in business school. <laughs> so definitely I'm curious not. now, we talked about some things that you feel like business school didn't prepare you well for being a small company or a startup. What do you think was really helpful mm-hmm. for business school? What yeah. did help prepare you? Okay, so two things come to mind. The first is just the discipline of school, you know, and, you know, having to to juggle a bunch of classes and projects all at the same time. To me, that's my biggest takeaway from school. It's just the discipline of working hard and staying organized. The other thing is, at least at my business school, every single class had a group project component, which... <laughs> which was really frustrating at the time. But I guess in retrospect, it was a good thing because you had to learn how to deal with all sorts of group members. And and I remember, like, I, I guess I'm more of like a natural, when and when I'm in a group, like I'm naturally the leader usually. I've just always been like that. And when you are juggling four group projects, you can't be the leader in all of them. And so one thing that I learned was, you know, like learning how to take a step back and, you know, sort of like delegate and let other people lead. And 
Yeah, I think that was something that I learned specifically because of this emphasis on group work in school. Yeah. And then overall, like what we talked about with my entrepreneurship program, which was just so amazing. Can't recommend that one enough. I took a lot from just putting yourself out there and yeah, being scrappy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the group, the group work is a good one. So as you're talking about this, so my background's in engineering. I went to engineering school. So all this, I'm thinking like, oh, what didn't I learn in engineering school? And when you said group work, I was like, oh, that's a good one. Because we did not do enough group work in engineering mm. school. Way too much solo stuff. And let me tell you, yeah, we should have done more more group mm. stuff. But I won't go into that too much. I suppose we could do a whole other episode yeah. just on that one too. Well, and along the lines with group work too, like I wish they did more cross-disciplinary ah, work. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Where... Yeah, you're expected to work with people from like other other schools or like other focuses, not just in business school, because I think there was this assumption in business school that you would always just be working with other business people. But, you know, at Astropad, like I work with engineers and engineers are very different from business school kids. Yes, so very different. <laughs> yeah. Historically have not mixed well. <laughs> I mean, I've had a good experience at Astropad working <laughs> with engineers, but definitely was not prepared for that in business school. So yeah. Do you feel like there was a lot of people interested in entrepreneurship or were you kind of more unique in, in having that interest in entrepreneurship in business school? Yeah, it wasn't huge. I mean, there was like a good, there was a good little corner of of the school that was into it, but it really wasn't front and center and you sort of had to stumble into it. And then once you stumbled into it, it was like, wow, there are lots of great resources within this program. But yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really a huge emphasis. And were you into interested in entrepreneurship before you went to business school? Or did that, you get interested in that while you were there? I don't know. I think it was just that once I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think this is for me. And I thought about like dropping out so many times because I was like, I do not fit in. I need to find where I fit in. But now actually talking to like my parents about what I was like when I was little, I think they are not surprised that I've gone this route of like being interested in startups and one day wanting to run my own company. <laughs> they would say that when I was little, I was like, you know, running my own little companies during playtime. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So that's great. Well, yeah. Any other thoughts? Otherwise, that's probably a good spot to wrap it up. Yeah, I guess overall, like I really can't regret any, I can't regret business school by any means because I still had a great experience with the entrepreneurship program. I learned a lot about critical thinking, being disciplined, and ultimately, you know, my experience at school led me to this job that I'm at right now, which, yeah, definitely can't regret that. So, so yeah, overall, I, I'm happy I stuck with it and kind of kind of took some valuable lessons going forward but you know overall I've been willing to willing to learn more on the job fill in the gaps so yeah we'll have to do another episode on what engineering school didn't teach you because yeah. I would love to hear that yeah yeah no it really got me thinking 
after you wrote this piece, I started thinking about my own background. But yeah, no, that was great, Savannah. Well, yeah, let us know, anyone that's listening, what you think. Again, you can let me know what you think as well, matt at com, <laughs> Or leave us a review. We'd love that as well. Let us know how we're doing or anything you want us to talk about. So until next time. All right. Take care. See ya.